Um, Ecclesiastes chapter 9, back in the Old Testament, if you would. I wanted to talk about meaning tonight. Uh, there's a story behind King Solomon, um, but that story eventuating him being the wisest man, probably on the face of the earth at that time. Um, <clears throat> God granted him that wisdom. And he wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. And Ecclesiastes, if you were to look at it from sort of a, a holistic point of view, bird's eye view, it's just it's a wonderful summary of life. If you need to look at life sort of globally, um, uh, the stuff that really matters in life, Ecclesiastes is just such a it's a it's a really special book, and it is truly wise. Um, in uh, Ecclesiastes nine, just in uh, would you be able to get that clock started, Lee, for me, thanks. Verse one says, for all this I considered in my heart, even to declare all this, that the righteous and the wise and their works are in the hand of God. No man knoweth either love or hatred by all that is before them. All things come alike to all. There is one event to the righteous and to the wicked, to the good and to the clean, and to the unclean, to him that sacrificeth and to him that sacrificeth not. As is the good, so is the sinner, and he that sweareth, as he that feareth an oath. This is an evil among all things that are done under the sun, that there is one event unto all. Yea, also the heart of the sons of men is full of evil and madness in their heart while they live. And after that they go to the dead. For to him that is joined to all the living there is hope, for a living dog is better than a dead lion. This is talking about... No matter a person's background, no matter what they've been involved with, even even from the good to the bad, we all get to a point in life where um, one day our last breath will come upon us. And that's what Ecclesiastes 9 here is talking about. And I, as a young boy, I remember, I remember spending a lot of time wondering, what is all this about? Just trying to work out the meaning behind it. And maybe as you get older, you sort of lose that um, that wonder and you know, bordering into awe about life and, and what, why we're here. What is the greater meaning? What is the greater purpose behind this? I was on a job site the other day and I met a lady who um, I believe is viewing right now. Hello to the unnamed lady. Um, and we got talking and um, she was just telling me a, fair bit, well, a little bit about her life and stuff. And she, she got to this point where um, she's... She's a little bit older than me. She's she's reconciled a number of relationships in her life. She's um she's gone back to a number of things and rectified these things. She's put everything into place and and she's really quite content where she is. Um, really happy. And by the way, I asked her if I could talk about this, um, and she said it was all good. Um, she's really quite happy, but she said despite all this, there's just one thing missing. Just one thing. Um. And I responded and I, I asked whether I could um, maybe try and answer that for her. And um, we ended up talking about God and how um, a life with God, inclusive of an experience with God, um, can fill one's void that they might have in their latter years or their earlier years. And that the meaning and the purpose in our lives can just suddenly be realized um, when you know that you've got a life with God and that he 
actually may have a purpose for you in life and that once you get to your three score and ten, it's not just all over by the shouting and it's done, but that there is something beyond this life and um, and people in the world will laugh at that and they'll scorn, um, but we, we believe in life after death. We believe in miracles and, and I take a step back and I when we're not rushing around and when we're not so busy, if you really think about us sitting here and the miracle that we're involved in and the greater, the wonder that surrounds us, and I'm not trying to get all poetic and, and romanticise my words here, but if you really sit back and just take it in for a moment, like is described in the book of Job when he was so down and so out and exhausted all options, but yet God came along and picked him up and reminded him about the wonder and the awe that was around him um, up into the universe. And it, it is an amazing thing. But why are we here? What is our greater purpose? Holistically and personally, what is our contribution in this life? And I just wanted to, I don't want to um, draw out subjects too much. I just wanted to punch a few little things. Let's go to the book of Ruth, if you could. Uh, Pastor Tony, um, <clears throat> he taught, turned to the book of Ruth on Sunday. I just wanted to maybe come from another angle of Ruth. Um, <clears throat> if you were to retitle the book, I'd, I'd retitle it Ruth slash Naomi. Uh, Naomi is sort of the unsung hero in this story. Um, it was time of the judges. Everyone sort of, they looked after their own um, ways back then. There was no king. Um, a judge would come in and people would sort of turn to, this is the, the theme of the time, they would sort of have a patch where they turn to idolatry and get lost away from God. Judges, a judge would pull them back and it would happen a bit of a, bit of a cycle. But it was a, it was a challenging time for the Christian. Um, at this time they'd fallen into a, a national famine. Uh, Famine, uh, and in Ruth chapter 1 and verse 9, um, just the story here. Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. And the name of the man was Elimelech, and uh, the name of his wife Naomi, and the name of his two sons Malong, Kilon, and Ephraim. I'm just, I might just jump down. Um, <laughs> not just because of my speech impediment, but I'm trying to save time. Um, Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was she was left and her two sons. And they took wives, and then, you know what, long story short, the sons died. So she's losing out here. Um, so she was married. Everything was going pretty well. Um, she had two sons. They had fled because of a famine. And she's lost her husband, she's lost her two sons, and now she's with um, two adopted daughters. In verse 16, it says here, And Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave thee. So the one daughter-in-law is named Oprah, and the other one is Ruth. And it, the story is about Ruth. And Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave thee, or to return from following after thee, for whither thou goest, I will go, and where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and, and thy God my God. Verse 21, <clears throat> it says it here, um, and I went out full. This is now 
um, Naomi talking. It says, I went out full and the Lord has brought me home again empty. And Pastor Tony reflected on this the other day when he talked about the bitter soul, if you can recall it. Why then call you Naomi, seeing the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty hath afflicted me? So Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabites, her daughter-in-law with her, which returned uh, out of the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem in the beginning of the barley harvest. So she's, there's, I am doing quite an abbreviated version, but they've gone out, she's come back with a whole, um, her whole setting has changed and her heart is broken. And she's saying, why would you call me Naomi? I'm actually bitter in my heart. Um, in chapter 2 and verse 1, And Naomi had a kinsman of her husband's, a mighty man of wealth, and the family of Elimelech, and his name was Boaz. So what happens here is um, Naomi and Boaz, uh, he's actually a kinsman, which is a, sort of a, a relative to the situation, and they um, they catch up with each other. And then Naomi sort of has a maybe a little flicker and a heart of hope between Ruth and Boaz. And she plays Cupid a little bit, and the scene is set for um, for chapter 3. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said unto her, My daughter, shall I seek rest for thee, that it may be well with thee? And now is Boaz of our kindred, with who, whose maidens thou wast. Behold, he, uh, he winneth barley tonight in the fr- threshing floor. Wash thyself therefore, and anoint thee, and put thy raiment on thee, and get thee down to the floor. But make not thyself known unto the man until he have done eating and drinking. And it shall be when he lies down that thou shalt mark the place where he lies, and thou shalt go in and uncover his feet and lay down, lay thee down, and he will tell thee what thou should do. So in a old school kind of um, pretty, I'd call it an unusual approach, she's setting these two up. Um, in the, finishing off the story in chapter 4 and verse 13, just for the sake of time. Uh, so Boaz took Ruth, and she was his wife, and when she, she, when she went into unto her, the Lord gave her a conception, and she bare a son. And the women said unto Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, which has not left thee this day without a kinsman, that his name may be famous in Israel. And he shall be unto thee a restorer of thy life, and a nourisher of thine old age, and thy daughter-in-law, which loves thee which is better to thee than seven sons have borne him. And Naomi took the child and laid it in her bosom and took nurse unto it. In quite an abbreviated version here, but in the story of Naomi, this lady had, you, you might have had some people look at Naomi and just think that this woman had it all. She had the husband, she's got two sons, wonderful daughters-in-law, um, and there may have been people surrounding that woman that may have had an emptiness in their hearts and longed for what Naomi had. But the scene changes for this lady, and she loses everything, absolutely everything that was vital and pivotal and that gave her meaning and purpose in her life, just gone. And she went down, similar to we talked about Job, when he went down, she went down into herself and she couldn't even regard herself as anything. And she asked her daughters, 
to or her daughter-in-laws to, to to leave her because what has she got to offer? She's too old for a husband. She can't bear children. She feels like she's lost her purpose. But in this time, a situation arises where the meaning and the purpose in Naomi's life, which was so obvious at the start, was just so black and white, was in her face. It was her own, her own family went from her, but something else got put there that gave her the greatest meaning. And sometimes, in our, I remember when Dad passed away when I was younger, um, and I, I was young, my head was spinning with what was going on, I was only 16, um, and I could never fill the void of my dad. But there were, I remember amongst this group here, just a few uh, men that I trusted, and I would grab, I mean, I was just a teenager and, and my mind's swelling a little bit, and I would just grab um, a conversation with this older man or this older man and I would just try and compile it in my life um, just to keep me going and just give me a bit of direction and stuff at this sort of pivotal time. And I remember realising to myself a while after that, if you give if you give life faith or God and time, God becomes the ultimate gap filler in your life. No matter what you have lost, if you give it time and faith, God will fill it. Don't always look for the obvious gap filler because maybe God is putting something else in front of you. He's redirecting your purpose. And do you know what? Naomi was beyond children. She was beyond having another husband of her own. But suddenly her heart was filled as she nursed her daughter-in-law's child. And she wouldn't have longed for children of her own. She wouldn't have longed for a, a husband anymore. But that moment when she's been through all that despair and she's nursing Ruth's baby, I, I'm, I'm almost certain her soul would have been refilled again. So all I'm saying out of this is that a little theory I worked out many years ago, God is our ultimate gap filler. Amen. Let's change the tone a quick. We'll go to uh, Luke chapter 9. Uh, Luke chapter 9, verse 18. Uh, it says here, And it came to pass as he was alone praying, his disciples were with him, and he asked them, saying, Who say the people that I am? <clears throat> Excuse me. They answering said, John the Baptist, but some say Elias, and others say that one of the old prophets is risen again. He said unto them, But whom say ye that I am? Just one little note on that is Jesus, you know, we can get embroiled in people's opinions of us and how we're leading our lives and what they may think. I just love this little snippet here that he wasn't interested. Jesus actually wasn't interested in everyone's opinions. It was just the ones that he cared for and they cared for him that he was having the conversation with. He ruled everyone out. If you need something good for your headspace, rule unnecessary things out like that. And what does God think of me? Where does he think I'm at? And and he gets to the, this point here where um, Peter answers and he said, you're the Christ of God. And he straightly charged them and commanded them to tell no man that thing, saying, the Son of Man must suffer many things and re be rejected of the elders and of the chief, chief priests and scribes and, and be slain and be raised the third day. 
And he said to them, If any man come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. It's this obscure statement that Jesus Christ makes in this verse here where I talked about my head spinning when I was a bit younger. If you were Peter or if you were any of his disciples, you you honestly would have gone home with your head spinning a fair bit um, after uh, walking with Jesus for a few hours during the day. And here is a head spinner where he said, take up your your cross daily. And um, I've heard some interpretations of this, but if you were to put in picture format of what Jesus then endured himself, um, Jesus, he was... He he had a prayer to the Lord. I mean, he asked his disciples to stay with him and wait for him and stay up. Um, he knew what was about to happen to him. Uh, the disciples didn't, and and they they let him down and they fell asleep. Um, he was betrayed by Judas. Um, <clears throat> he he was then taken and he was persecuted, and. Um, he was denied. I mean, Peter, his closest disciple, denied him three times. He walked uphill with a cross. The cross was taken off him because it was too much to bear for a certain amount of time. Someone else took it from him. He was nailed to the cross, and he and he died. Um, and when Jesus talks about daily taking up our cross here or bearing our cross, and you think of what Jesus endured. Um, you could sort of signify that to our life is that life sometimes can feel um, it can feel burdensome and heavy um, and challenging and like you are walking uphill um, and like you you feel like you're doing the best um, but people are against you um, the ones that should be supporting you aren't. There's a whole myriad of things in this picture that Jesus went through and and what we go through here. But the big thing, because life life has hardship amongst it, and I don't want to provide a sadistic tone to life because it's not that at all, um, but it will it will give its challenges through life. But the big thing that happened with Jesus Christ is that in this picture of going to the cross and living his 33 years here, is that, yes, he went through these challenging times. Yes, he went through the hardship. There was that moment in when he was taking taking the cross and it needed to be taken off him. You, you may have gone through circumstances in your life where you've needed to have a conversation with someone because the burden was too hard or too great for you at times. I've had those moments. Um, there's all these challenging moments in life. But the pivotal part of the story of Jesus Christ, and this is why we don't go around wearing crosses on our necks, is that that's not when the story stopped for Jesus. The story started just a little bit after Jesus died on the cross and when he got raised up, when they went and checked the tomb and there was no man there. And that is when the story of the Holy Ghost begins and the power of the apostles in Acts 1 and and many other places in the New Testament. But there is this lead up to it. It talks about it in Luke 9, bear your cross daily. So it's signifying that Jesus Christ, he went through this time where he had this heaviness of this cross on him. And we're going to have those moments on on us sometimes. But at the end of the day, 
we, just like Jesus Christ, was raised out of, out of the, the yuck of this world. We will have our victory here and we will have it after this life. And I, I know I quote this a lot and I'll try not to too much in the future, but I'll just say quickly now, the Bible says, if, if any man have hope only in this life, they are of men most miserable. And we have such, um, we're privileged to have a hope beyond this life. And that when we're going through hard shots and maybe it feels like suffering and maybe the burden needs to be shared for that time, then the ultimate um, picture amongst this is that you will bear your cross, but Jesus will bring you out of it. And, and he will bring the ultimate deliverance. I remember being down at camp and Angie was in the kitchen one day and some of you may have been there at this camp. Suddenly there was some commotion um, in the kitchen and Angie had um, brought out one of the tray things from the oven and it was super sharp on the side and uh, it cut through her hand or her finger and it was just sort of dangling. Her finger was just dangling. I'm exaggerating it just to freak you out. But it was it was truly gross. Um, and um, we needed to call Triple O and get the ambulance down and stuff because it was bad. And um, if, if ever you need a good laugh in life, by the way, get your spouse on one of those green whistles in an ambulance travelling on a dirt road for a fair while, and that'll give you a good, um, a bit of a laugh, but just don't tell them that you're laughing at them. But, you know, everyone, came, lots of people knew about Angie's injury, and lots and lots and lots of people came up asking me how Angie is and stuff. And I, I would then tell them, and then they would reply back to me about the scar that they've received somewhere in their troubles in life, the injuries that they've sustained. And it, it is so relatable to our own life is that when we go through life, we will we'll, we'll wear our scars and we'll wear our bruises, but the Lord is there to get us beyond those things. Um, let's just finish in Acts chapter 10. And just a, maybe a little note on bearing your cross and just taking up your responsibility. It's, it is a, um, it, it does feel, um, fulfill meaning and purpose in your life when you do find the, um, you do find purpose and a way to give, uh, in the church or with other people. Um, and just that fulfillment of responsibility. Um, Acts chapter 10. Just to finish off here, in verse 33, this is just uh, a man named Cornelius talking here. He said, Immediately, therefore, I sent to thee, and thou hast well done that thou art come. So Cornelius was a devout man, a religious man, a very good man, but he hadn't, he hadn't yet received uh, what we call the Holy Ghost or what the Bible calls the Holy Ghost. And Peter the Apostle, um, uh, the disciple of Jesus, he was talking to him here. It says, Now therefore we are all here present, so this is Cornelius and his family, before God, to hear all things that, that are commanded of thee to God. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, Of a truth I perceive that God is no respecter of persons, that the gospel or the good news, it's open to everyone. And verse 44 while Peter yet spoke these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all of them which heard the word. 
And they of the circumcision which believed were astonished, they were amazed, as many as came with Peter, because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then Peter answered, then answered Peter, Can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized, which have received the Holy Ghost as well as, as well as we? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Uh, then prayed they him to tarry certain days. There's a background story of Peter um, getting a vision and meeting Cornelius and Peter and a band of merry men and Cornelius and his family. And they prayed for Cornelius, even though he was a good man and he was devout, he hadn't yet received the Holy Ghost. And they received the Holy Ghost. And when it happened here, they spoke in other tongues. And um, such a I was just talking with someone today about when he received the Holy Ghost and how it was just, it was, I think the word was an explosion. And it might be different to different people, but it was an, sort of an undeniable experience for this man. Um, there's two there's two things in this story just to finish off with. Is one is the obvious point, just about getting yourself right with God, um, fulfilling that meaning and that purpose in your life, and maybe similar to the lady that um, I was talking with uh, recently is that when you've got that one yearning or burning thing that needs to be filled, maybe it is God. But the other thing here is that um, I was at the night that Pastor Chris was referring to and um, Pastor Paul, when Pastor Paul was talking, it was early on in the conversation and he just mentioned uh, some work going on overseas and how um, there's a, some different groups of men doing different things for outreaching and for the purpose of revival and stuff, and some men down at some markets. And Pastor Paul just mentioned the word um, facilitate, like they help facilitate the revival. I think for that was near the start of the night. My mind stuck on that word for the whole night. Peter's job here was simply facilitating. You know, for us who have um, received the Holy Spirit, or have just had experiences with the Lord, um, healings and miracles, and know that he's alive. It's just, it's a real privilege. You know, we're not here to um, throw the gospel down people's throat. It's not our style. Um, it's not what we do. But people have ears that really want to hear good news. The world's not in a great shape, and many people's own personal worlds aren't in great shapes. And they do yearn for something. I was just talking with someone very recently again, another person altogether, and if they, this lady went and saw a professional, I'm almost certain that they would say that she's been through trauma. There's a number of things that have provided traumatic experience. But I know her story, and I know the void that is being filled in her heart. All I'm saying with this little part here is that Peter played a part here where he was facilitator. He wasn't trying to shove anything down anyone's throat or anything. But we've got a hope that um, many people don't have out there. And it's, it is it is kind of simple, this ability to be able to listen and then just go, you know what, I've heard a little story about someone being healed of that. Or I've heard a little story about someone who wasn't 
feeling great about themselves or needed to have a change in their life. And it is a really exciting experience when um, we can bring someone along to the Lord. Seeing someone or being with someone or travelling with a person on their journey to find the Lord, it's actually, there's something about it, I don't really know how to put it in words, but there is something about it that can take you out of yourself, which is a, a nice thing to do in life sometimes. Take you out of yourself, out of your problems, and go, you know what? God's amazing. Look at what he's doing in this person's life. Snapshot on meaning. Let's close our Bibles. Amen. Amen.